Ghetto. You are now beyond the ghetto. Broadcasting from the rainy city in the Lower Mainland, here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, you are now Beyond, beyond the Ghetto. RadioGay.ca is ready to go. Vessel send shockwaves around the world. RadioGay.ca, Canada's colorful internet radio station. Okay, all righty, let's play some tunes. Spreading color to the world. RadioGay.ca. Welcome to Beyond the Ghetto within the village from a very, very rainy uh, November 2006 uh, Vancouver Greater Vancouver Lower Mainland. It is completely saturated and wet. This is our cold, wet, and rainy season. This is what waters the trees and keeps us all pleasant through the rest of the year. But we have to endure this three or four months of heavy rain. And now this year, there's been so much rain. It's always record rainfall every year. There's been so much rain that our Capilano Reservoir has filled up with mud and silt and we cannot drink the drinking water. In fact, it's the largest water advisory in history. Boil it for at least a minute in this area. I'm not even watering my plants with this stuff. Uh, if you want to see a video of what this precious water looks like, go to our show notes um, website. That would be beyondtheghetto.livejournal.com and have a look at a little video that I put there also broadcast on YouTube uh, to see the quality of our wonderful drinking water. For this month's show, though, we are not staying around the Lower Mainland. We are going beyond to Calgary, Alberta, to see Life in Gay Calgary. And during this episode, we're going to feature the music of Midwest rocker and folk singer Mark Wagel. We play a lot of his music on RadioGay.ca, and I thought it would be wonderful compliment to this show to profile some of his music here in our 10th uh, audio episode of the this year and welcome to that and thank you for listening so without too much further ado we're going to go over to tim the master producer at radiogay.ca to tell you a little bit about calgary and specifically gay calgary and then we're going to move into an interview where ron and i we're going to interview a gay radio broadcaster from that area uh named stephen Locke. so here we go to gay calgary The city of Calgary is presently one of Canada's two centers of economic activity and enjoyed the status for a couple of decades. This is mainly due to the province of Alberta's rich oil and gas industry. Calgary also has recently been enjoying the status of being Canada's new political powerhouse as our new Prime Minister Stephen Harper is based out of that city. Calgary has also been known for three things, cowboys, oil and living by conservatively religious principles. This has been reflected in the attitudes of the citizens of that city on many topics, including the subject of the GLBT community. Stephen Locke has lived much of his life in Calgary. He's the host of Speak Sebastian, which is Calgary's GLBT radio show, and a local representative of EGAL. That's equality for gays and lesbians everywhere. Hey there, Mr. Trucker Man. I ain't gonna try to kiss you. When you roll on out of here an hour from now, I sure am gonna miss you. So take us back to the beginning uh, when you did come out as an actively gay man. 
Well, I came out in about uh, late 79, early 1980. Um, you know, as, as the years go by, I forget exactly when it was. <laughs> but uh, at that time, um, in Calgary, in, in North America in general, um, it was gay community was just starting to blossom. Um, when I came out, there was basically two organizations in, in town. It was the, uh, the Imperial Court, which had been formed about a year to two years before I came out. I think the first court here was... 78 or 79, and uh, GERC, which was uh, Gay Information Resources Calgary, was the local um, peer counseling phone line information center advocacy group. Uh, those are the, the only two groups that were available uh, within about, uh, well, within five years for sure. Um, we had quite a few organizations kicking around. We had uh, Camp 181, which was... Um, uh, some, some camping, uh, but it was mainly geared to, to putting on community dances as um, GERC or Information Resources did as well. And uh, here we are in 2006, so I think at last count we had about 63 organizations and I think at, at, at its peak we had about uh, close to 70 organizations, oh. one description or, or another. But the majority of, of that happened during the 80s as, as it did all over North America. This is a sudden sort of blooming of, of, of community and organizations and, and, and organizing on a social front. How did you uh, find the gay community when you were when you were coming out in, in Calgary? Were you a teenager or a bit older? No, no, I actually came out quite late. Um, I was in my, uh, I was about 26, 27 by the time I finally decided to, I always kind of figured maybe perhaps I, I was, but wasn't quite sure. I thought, well, the one way to find out is to do something with somebody. And if that worked, great. You know, if it didn't, oh well. Yeah. Whatever. I was 24, so I know I can relate. But yeah. did you, I remember looking an extra, there was a, an extra in Toronto and researching and finding out where everything was. Was there anything in Calgary for you to do that? Uh, there was, uh, well, no. I mean, certainly to, to a ostensibly straight boy at the time. Um, you know, I mean, I, I had no connections to, to, to gay community. There's only uh, 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 two bars in town at the time, the, the Parkside Continental on uh, 4th Street at 13th Avenue Southwest and, and Mertz over on... Ninth Avenue at about Seventh Street Southwest, both owned by the same people. So, but I didn't know that at the time, of course. Um, so, basically, the, the, the only sort of way I, I found out was um, I was working this summer at, at the Hudson's Bay Warehouse, and you know, all, all the same age group. And during lunch break one time, one of the fellows was going on about, about you know the, the fags down in Central Park. I went, oh. That's where they are. <laughs> Interesting. So yeah, I, I um, went wandering down there to see if, if what was what, and um, eventually managed to hook up with someone, and went back home and went, you know, and did our thing finally, and uh, went, oh, and I, I, I've often used the description that you know the the the, the floorboard suddenly clicked into place. Um, you know, I remember driving home afterwards, going, okay, now I know, great. Yeah. Um, shortly after that, I, I managed to uh, have to drive around the block 15 times to go in, in, into the Parkside Continental. Um, and I have, to this day, I have no idea what I thought I would see going in, but I can remember being struck by how many regular guys, quote unquote, there were inside. 
So that, uh, you know, and then after that, it was like, you know, once those closet doors swung open, they got kicked right off the hinges. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit more about the gay scene back in Calgary, back uh, back about that time. Uh, what do you, what was the general attitude of the citizens of Calgary or in Alberta in generally to uh, gays and lesbians at the time? Oh, and what year would this be? Just to add that. Well, <laughs> this, this would have been like by by this time. The time I was kind of. Uh, connected at all to community, it, it would have been definitely 1980, 81 by then, mm-hmm. um, where I was even going out at the clubs, I was becoming aware of, of uh, gay information resources, Calgary, uh, there's a fellow, well two fellows actually who were involved with that, it was Doug Young and uh, Bob Harris, uh, both have since deceased unfortunately. Um, Doug Young was sort of a cross between uh, um, Karl Marx and I don't know, some you know, sort of latter-day hippie type, you know. Um, very, very, both were very political. And Doug and I got talking one time at, at the Parkside, and, and uh, he mentioned that uh, Girk, as it was known, Gay Information Resources Calgary, uh, published a newspaper, a, a small community newspaper. Well, I, I had studied journalism in college, um, which I graduated from a couple of years before that, and uh, thought, oh, Hmm, I can get involved with that. Mm-hmm. And when I started getting politically involved, and that was kind of, I mean, I, I, I found my niche, you know, and that was it. I'm interested to see how that compares. Uh, we'll get back to that, but I'm interested to see how that compares to Ron's experience. Because, Ron, you were, you were coming out in Calgary around yeah, 75. I, I came out in Calgary about 75, yeah. So what? how does that, Stephen's coming out at 80 and being into these groups compare with your coming out? Well, with me, it was mostly through the Parkside Continental and Central Park. <laughs> so, yeah. And... And, uh, which at that time were kind of the hub of the gay community and in 75 anyway. What would people do in Central Park? Oh, well. Everything and anything? Or was it more cautious? Or? It was very heavily treed and very thick bushes around Central Park at that time, which it is not now, from what I understand. Is that correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen? Yeah, I, um, but, but my memory of that was, was, was Central Park was more of a, a meeting spot. You would meet somebody there and then go elsewhere because okay. the the, uh, uh, the park is is sort of the old English uh, garden layout, very, very traditional, you know, pathways and flower beds. Uh, some bushes along the, the edges, but they were never very thick. Um, mm. So I don't think. As far as I'm aware of, I don't think anything ever actually happened there. I think it was more of a, you'd wander around, hook up with someone, and you'd, you'd go elsewhere, back to their place, your place, a back alley, whatever. Um, Why was that a safe place? Or a no, it really wasn't. I mean, because oh, okay. uh, right, right, right across the, 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 uh, the avenue, the 13th Avenue from there, were, were apartment buildings, and I remember... I mean, it was also very social over there. So mm-hmm. as, as I was going down there quite a bit on, on, on summer evenings, you know, you'd have you know four or five, six guys sitting on a park bench shooting the breeze, you know, laughing, having a good time. And of course, voices carry. So I'm sure, you know, looking back, you know, <laughs> two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, I'm sure residents really appreciated that, regardless <laughs> of the gay angle. You know, so we used to have things thrown at us, and and, and you'd have bashers come through once in a while because it was. I mean, Central Park was very well, was very notorious. Yeah. And there were also uh, hustlers. I learned about it was from guys at work which they'd gone down there to, to, to beat up fags, you know. Mm. So um, that's how I learned about it. So it, it was always, I mean, I don't think it was dangerous, but it wasn't the safest environment either. But just to get back to, to, to your original question of, of, of what the sort of community or the, the, the politics at the time, and so the attitude was, I think your average Calgarian was, 
wasn't really aware of a gay community at all. The Parkside was fairly well known because it was on a fairly main thoroughfare. Um, that was still an era when the only places to go to drink were, were hotel taverns, you know, with mm-hmm. the you know huge, huge beer halls with the little round terry cloth tables and you couldn't move around with a drink in your hand. That was what the drinking environment was like. At the park side, you'd go there, you could dance, you could stand with, with, with a beer in your hand, you could walk around with one. The music was really good, you know. So, and it would, it didn't close at midnight. It stayed open until 2 a.m. Yeah. You know, every place else in town closed at midnight at that time. When you said the music was good, what kind of music do you remember? Disco. Mm. Yeah, it was disco. Yeah. Yeah. Disco, absolutely. Uh, when, when I started going to the park side, it was mostly things like Barry White and uh, the mid-70s type disco. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, yeah. And uh, so the... the I mean, it was still pretty, it was quite conservative here, of course, but, uh, and, and, and the community was quite conservative. Um, in fact, when, when we had that um, international conference uh, of lesbians and gay men at, at the university, the two men who, who owned the Parkside and Mertz um, organized a reaction against it and went to the media saying, we don't support this, we don't agree with this. You know, they're, they're a bunch of radicals over at Girk anyways. They don't speak for the community. This is terrible. And we, and we had leading activists like Body Politic, uh, which was like the forerunner of Extra. Um, you know, we had leading Canadian and some American activists from all over coming to that, and the, the community, quote unquote, did not support it at all. Why do you think they didn't? Uh, I heard you say too radical. Maybe you could expand on. Yeah. What was well, was mean, it exposure? Can, the light yeah, coming in. Sorry. Was it the fact that the light of politics, the, like, did they want to sort of keep being clo- semi-closeted or? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, back then it was just, uh, um, you know, I used to get things of, of I can't remember talking to, to, to one fellow who I thought was fairly aware, who, I mean, uh, keeping in mind has a couple of beers down, you know, mm-hmm. okay. down our throats by then. But he says, well, he says, you know, we're not oppressed. We've got windows in, 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 in the bar. Like, oh, would be. Of course, you see, he'd come from an era where you had to sort of go down a back alley, knock three times at a door, and say, you know, like, you know, Hernando sent me, you know, what's the password? And the fact that the Parkside faced onto <coughs> a major thoroughfare had quite large windows facing onto that, and a Baptist church across the street. Um, to him, that was, like, amazing. Knots in your stomach, tightness in my throat. Half the things we say these days get hurled back as a quote. We came together easily, but something has gone wrong. The air has gotten heavy, cause I'm leaving, but I'm a different kind. The Calgary community is still very conservative. The, 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 the game has been community is still quite conservative. It's not political at all. It never has been. Um, very social, recreationally oriented, very well organized on, on that level. But politics has just never been uh, of an interest. And that ties in with the fact that we're living in a conservative city in a conservative province. Um, gay communities are part of the greater community and, and 
reflect the, the same, very similar values. You know, so um, yeah, I mean, it, it was even more conservative back then. Um, at that time, we still were not covered by human rights legislation in, in the province of Alberta. So there were some real risks in being known to be gay or lesbian um, by trans. I mean, you know, trans wasn't really sort of part of people's awareness back then. And you, know, you, could, you could lose your job, you could be evicted, you know, and there was no protection. Um, and Kirk, and then a couple of years later, um, the Calgary Lesbian and Gay Political Action Guild, or, or PLAGPEG, which formed after Girk kind of disappeared, it was also a political action group. Um, so the, the main thrust there was, was advocating to have sexual orientation included in, in provincial human rights legislation. And um, so, know, so yeah. Around. Is it mainly is it mainly fear though? Like a lot of the reasons you seem to say about the conservatism are based on exposure and fear and losing jobs. But I'm wondering too if there isn't sort of a mindset that goes along with that. It's like uh, almost like well, we're, I don't know how to phrase it because I've seen it before um, in other countries too. Um, we're gay. What we do in bed isn't important, and yeah, oh yeah, uh, no, and it's just no, not. We're just regular people, and we really don't want to stick mm-hmm. out. Is there some of that in there? Oh. Totally, totally. I mean, uh, yeah, you often heard that, you know, well, what I do in bed is nobody's business. That's right, but being gay or being lesbian or bisexual, for that matter, goes beyond that. I mean, th- th- that was the difference between those of us, the little group that was involved with Girk and had, you know, uh, access to to, you know, to body politic and we're, we're reading things like that and reading stuff from the states that were, you know, sort of gay, gay liberationist uh, type, type documents and stuff. And you know the, the awareness level was 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 85 degrees different. I mean, our view was being gay was was not what we did, but who we were. And the average person in community saw it as what they did. And um, so, since that was private and it was all sexually defined, they weren't about to broadcast that because it was nobody's business. And I used to say, well, that's right, it isn't everybody's isn't business what I do in the bedroom either. They want to find out, they take, take me to bed. You know? <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm bloody well not going to hide the fact that, that, that I'm gay. That's not telling people what I do in my bedroom. It's, it's letting them know who I am on a social, political, cultural level. Um, but there's, yeah, that, that was a that was seen as a very radical mindset. So, what has um, when did things start to change in Calgary? Like, sort of bringing it from that point up to present day. Well, I think there, there's, of course, you always get in, in, into trouble when you're talking generality. So, mm. I'll sort of preface this, you know, in general. <laughs> okay. I, I think there, there's a mindset now of of a recognition that that being gay, lesbian, or bi is who we are, not what we do. I think that's changed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still a tendency to, to um, not be terribly out or, or, or public about it at work or, or, or you know, sort of out in the, in the dominant culture only because there's this internalized homophobia going on now that being gay is not quite as good somehow as being straight. Mm-hmm. And I was always of the opinion it was better, but anyway. And... Uh, so that, that, that carries through to you know people just sort of living their lives as as they live them and uh, don't make a big issue of, of things. Um, when we had things like um, human rights legislation trying to get through, that kind of woke a few people up. Went, oh, this is not right. We do need to push for this. Um, 
in about 1975, 76, there was a, I think, probably a conscious change from illiberationist politics to a human rights model. And so you got more people buying into the human rights model than into the illiberationist thing. And there's, there's class issues tied in with that. There's economic issues tied in with that. And once we moved away from a illiberationist model, which was, was, was very street-oriented, was very blue-collar-oriented, was very radical, of course, uh, to a well, human rights model, then you started having your sort of comfortable white middle-class gay man and lesbian getting comfortable to buy into that more. How did, so, did class, pay, class issues play a big part in Calgary's scene? As I would say. How, how so? Calgary is very much a corporate city. Um, you know, we have the basis of the economy, of course, is, is oil, gas, and cattle, um, and beef and stuff, um, but mainly oil and gas. Um, yeah, you, you sort of walk through the bars or, or, or go to some of the, the community organizations or whatever, it is predominantly white. It is predominantly middle class. Um, some, of course, come from a rural background, moved to Calgary, gotten, you know, decent jobs, good jobs, excellent jobs, whatever. But yeah, there's very much, the, the Calgary community, by and large, tends to be very much a white, middle-class community. Sounds fairly homogeneous, no pun intended. <laughs> um, yeah, right. But has that changed? Have you, uh, no, I know I, a few... I, I, I don't see it changing very much at all. Okay, because I know a few um, of my Asian gay friends are moving over to Calgary and they like it, especially Japanese. But I don't know if that's enough significant numbers to make an impact. Uh, no, I mean, um, kind of going back maybe 10 years ago, there, there, there was an organization in town called the um, Of Color Collective, um, which was uh, um, Queers of Color, and, and they really tried to sort of bring to the attention of the community, quote-unquote, that there are issues of racism, that it, because someone happens to be a cute brown boy doesn't mean he's going to be passive. Mm-hmm. Right? Or, you know, they had some issues with older white men dating younger Asian men, and what was really going on there, you know. And so they, they, they brought a very, very political, um, and that R word again, a very radical analysis to, to, to the community. And the community, I mean, you go back to the, the old issues of Clue magazine, which was the, 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 the publication in town at the time, and there's about a good six to eight months worth of, of controversy raging in the letters to the editor about those dreadful, ungrateful people in, in, in the off-color collective. How dare they criticize us? And um, editorials being written by members of, of the collective saying, you know, what we're trying to point out to you is that racism is worse for us than homophobia ever was. Um, even the editor of, of Clue Magazine, who, who's a, a really nice guy and stuff, but he didn't have much of an awareness, he prefaced one editorial with, you know, sort of a disclaimer. And he'd never done that before or since. And so that created problems because, you know, he was buying into the racism. I mean, people took took real exception to being called racist. That sounds like that was probably happening around, let me guess, around the early 90s? I would say, yeah. yeah that, that It was the early 90s. I mean, we had those issues on a, on a larger scale with many more groups in Toronto at that time. Sure. Uh, especially between yeah, the yeah, organizations. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and there was that, that analysis coming forward that, mm-hmm. you know, on, on a lot of levels, these the sort of queer issues had been resolved or being resolved or whatever, um, or so we thought at the time anyway. And so attention was being turned 
more inward into other issues affecting our community and issues around class, around sexism, around racism, all those sort of uh, type, of, type of issues were, were, were being certainly to be addressed. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. Promise fixing us some pop tarts. I'm still lying way, warm me out. I'm still listening to the beating of our hearts. It's gonna be a good day. It's gonna be a good day. How's the relationship been between the uh, gay and lesbian communities? They're pretty separate here in Vancouver groups. Yeah. Well, again, with, 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 well, not so much anymore, perhaps, because we're a city of over a million people now, but the, as you see in most small centers, the, the, the gay and lesbian community did tend to sort of blend and, and uh, socialize quite a bit. So yeah. in community dances, you would see that. Uh, most of the bars, like most of the bars everywhere else, were very much male-oriented. Mm-hmm. Uh, women would try and create their own spaces periodically. Is there, is there a, quote, dyke bar in, uh, in Calgary? Yeah. No, not anymore. I and mean, there's been various attempts at having that, and it just, mm-hmm. it just falls apart because of the economic issues at, at, at work. And I take it the women, as usual across Canada, the women usually have it harder economically than the men. Is well, that happening in Calgary, yeah. too? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just, just, just as women, they're making, I forgot what the figure is, that it's 70% of, of, of income. Uh, just on that level, and they can't afford to, you know. But women's culture is, is dare I say, structured differently than, than men. I mean, men are quite comfortable going out to a bar, picking up some stranger, you know, whatever. Uh, women go like, well, no, I just want some place where I can talk. But mm. the only model they have for a commercial social space is the men's bars that are loud and, and dance-oriented. But that wasn't working. So then they would try something else, and that didn't work. I like the woman's idea, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind going to a quieter place to talk, either. Mm. But, yeah. <laughs> How did you get well, involved well, with... That, of course, that's, a, that's oh, yeah. an age factor, too. I mean, gone are the days when I can hear myself thinking in, in, in a bar, I can't. <laughs> yeah, that, that is an age thing, yeah. too. And my eardrums are shot, you know. <laughs> yeah. How did you get involved with the gal? Oh, well, that's okay. We have to fast forward to about uh, 2002. Um, the Calgary police raided um, uh, Goliath's Sonatelle here, which was the one and only steam bath that we had in town. <coughs> Excuse me. And they raided that in, in December of 2002. Um, of course, I came out at the time of the Toronto bath raids and saw the response, you know, 3,000 you know, 3, people marching up Young Street in protest. I figured the same thing would happen here in 2002. It didn't. <laughs> um, but I, I kind of spearheaded the what response there was against the raid here. Uh, that brought me to the attention of, of, of Miguel, um, the fellow who was the um, um, co-director for, for the Prairie Northwest Territories and Nunavut region, uh, Gilles Marshalldon. Um, he was resigning that position to to um, apply for the executive directorship of of Miguel, which he got. So there was a vacancy halfway through his term. So they had become aware of me with the work I was doing around the Goliath raid and approached me to to come on the board. So I said yes, did that, and then ran for election 
the following AGM and was, was acclaimed. And, and I've, I've had on the board uh, of Egal now since uh, 2002, 2003, I guess, actually. Mm. Did that really surprise you, the kind of lack of reaction uh, in the Calgary gay citizens? It did, actually, mm. yeah. Yeah. Why, why do you think um, I, I heard a lot of them took the plea bargain and whatever little program uh, well yeah the, the, the um, uh, I forget what the term is now just off my head but yeah the uh, um, alternative measures oh that's and right because a lot of the men who were down there there's only 13 men who were charged as foundings and um, 12 of them you know were married closeted whatever you know and I'll put quotes around closeted because there's various degrees to that as we know but um they just felt that that they could not uh, be public about it at all. But and there was terrified. one. So they they uh, they went for the alternative mm. measures, and it went away very quietly for them. But there was one man who didn't. That's right, Terry Haldane, who, um, as coincidence would have it, is also my life partner. Ah, okay. Cheap mm. little slut that he is. And so, yeah, and from what I've read, what, what, um, so, but what were his reasons? Like, he, he was going to take this thing right to the Supreme Court. Yeah, well, I mean, but part of that, of course, is at, at that stage of having lived with, with, with an activist for 20 years kind of rubbed off on him. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, both of us are, it's obviously an open relationship. Both of us have, have, have uh, gone down to the tubs, uh, you know, whatever, whatever. And, um, he just happened to be down there, the, um, Evening that they uh, they read, they read it fairly early on too. It was like like late afternoon, early evening, and uh, I was at a meeting or something, and he and he had just sort of popped down for for a bit and and got caught up in the raid. And but he wasn't doing. I mean, nobody was doing anything. It was six o'clock in the evening. Nobody was doing. He was sitting down having a coffee and a cigarette down by by the by the, the hot tubs there, and, was, and he was so pissed off that 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 the cops would dare raid um, uh, a bathhouse that, that he thought, I'm not putting up with this. Yeah, the cops' excuse was that they had had a complaint from somebody who was there or something. Mm. Was that even, do you think that, well, it's hard to speculate well, whether yeah, it was I've true or not. Well, yeah, I probably could do an entire show just on that. But, yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. there, 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 there's, there's, there's two cases going on. There was the, the, the case against, quote-unquote, keepers, the owners and managers, mm-hmm. and the case against Terry as a fountain. And they, they separated the cases because he was going to go for um, uh, a charter challenge and take this to the Supreme Court. The, the, the owners and managers opted not to do that. Um, they didn't make it a charter challenge. So he separated the, 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 the two trials. Um, during the um, uh, Keeper's trial, uh, they had uh, what's known as a voir dire, which is um, a trial within a trial, and it's a... Um, is to examine evidence, whether or not evidence should be brought to trial or not. And during the course of that, one of the detectives, a uh, female detective, when we finally managed to track her down, got up on, on, on the, the witness stand and said that two or three years before that, uh, during some casual conversations that she did not record in her logbook, she's doing this by memory, these were casual conversations with a young hustler that she used to drive to, to his probation officer or whatever, and he would tell her that he used to meet people down at Goliath, and that he used to work down there as a hustler, um, that this was going on, that was going on. And these were all like, like you know, casual conversations that she's now recalling almost verbatim, oddly enough, two and three years later. Mm-hmm. Now, that particular young hustler, unfortunately, was killed in a car crash outside of Golden um, about a year or so before 
the trial. I'm not sure about where, where quite where he fits in as far as the raid went. I think it was either shortly before or shortly after the raid. So, of course, we didn't have him testifying. We didn't have anybody who made the so-called complaints coming forward. This is all what the cops are telling us they were told. So what was the upshot? Was everything dropped? I, I, yeah, the, the charges were all stayed. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. stayed means for one year and then they're gone after that. Yeah, well, yes, yeah, exactly. It, uh, and it's a, a year less a day, and if there's no new information or new charges come forward, it's just, it's, it's wiped off the books. Mm. Yeah, so well, that, that time has now lapsed. It's, it's over and done with now. talked about this before. Um, seems ironic that Calgary, having the reputation of being the conservative place it is, uh, seems to have a penchant for producing some uh, big-name porn stars. <laughs> I'm thinking of, yeah, you know, you and I talked about One the, that K- I know of, the anyway. Cade brothers, you know, the Rick Hammersmith, uh, there's a, yeah. a bear star there named Darcy. Uh, I'm also uh, thinking about Eric Everhard, the straight porn star who's from Calgary. I uh, just oh. wanted to know, uh, speculate on why you think that is. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Uh, It's 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 interesting because you would think you know Los Angeles, San Diego, San Francisco, Toronto, or even Vancouver, maybe. What's that? Or even Vancouver, maybe. But uh, Calgary, Vancouver, yeah. But um, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it's it's. um, I don't know if if, if there's any any relation there. I think it's just kind of luck of the draw. I think. When you look ahead for the uh, Calgary uh, gay, lesbian, bi, trans community, what do you see? What do I see? Do you see any kind of major changes coming down, or is it going to basically be the same, do you think? Or? Well, I think it's basically going to be the same. I mean, yeah. the, the, the current issue that sort of caught everybody's imagination has been, of course, the equal marriage yeah. situation. Um, and even here in Calgary, that's been, you know, those who are not usually political sort of latched onto that. Of course, it's also a very middle-class issue. Yeah. I mean, one of the arguments against the whole equal marriage stuff is that it, it, it buys into the whole class and race issue and favors nice, middle-class, safe people. Uh-huh. <laughs> and leaves the, the rest of us out of the loop. But anyway, setting that aside... That's another whole show unto itself. Um, I mean, that certainly caught, caught the interest here, and, and, and it was, you know, but even there, there wasn't a, a huge amount of support. I mean, um, it's, in my 
role as, as, as regional director, um, I was also involved with the Canadian Free Equal Marriage um, Coalition, and I was the, the Calgary rep for them, and would try and organize rallies and stuff here in support of, of, of Bill C-38, and I was lucky if I got 20 people out to them. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Whereas those who opposed us could get 1,200. Oh, man. In a Pentecostal church somewhere, you know. <laughs> so, again, that comes back to, well, that's really political. Oh. I, well, 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 why? No, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we, 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 we were getting you know donations and stuff. We weren't getting any any bodies out. Oh. Anyway, Stephen, it was really, really nice talking to you. Likewise. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for coming on to Beyond the Ghetto and uh, and uh, speaking with us about uh, life in one of Canada's more conservative cities, but also one of Canada's more vibrant cities as well. Yeah. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. No, thanks a lot, Steve. That was Stephen Locke, host of the show Speak Sebastian, broadcasting out of Calgary on the main uh, radio waves there, um, talking to us about gay life in Calgary, past and present, and with a little insight into the future there. He was talking to Ron Kearse, who I'd like to thank dearly for helping me with the show, and myself, Stephen Emery, and also thanks to Tim for the intro. We're going to play a little bit of music uh, for you now from Mark Wagle, especially a very beautiful song I, I like from him called uh, Why Not Fly. In fact, it's uh, Ron Kearse's, our, my co-host's, one of his favorite songs, and it's become one of mine too. So um, thank you for listening for Beyond the Ghetto audio episode 10, and we'll leave you with the question, Why Not Fly by Mark Wagle. Have a great month and take care and be well. And his hands felt like ice exciting. His hands felt like ice exciting. As he laid me back just like an empty dress.
15 I tied a rope around a rafter in our garage Cause I couldn't help the way I felt in my skin And I knew that everyone thought it was wrong Don't tell me If you're jumping off a cliff, why not fly? I did not safely step down off that ladder From my mom and dad, a priest, to friends at school In fact, they are why I climbed up on it I was just afraid to follow through Don't grill me Shameless promiscuity If you're jumping off a cliff Why not fly? My legs were shaking so bad I could not stand So I lay down on the concrete floor and cried I burned hot with shame for having failed I burned with shame for having tried Jumping off a cliff, why not fly? 